your Bibles tonight, turn to that, uh, that epistle of Galatians, and we're going to continue uh, this evening. You know, we've been going through this, uh, uh, through Paul the Apostle's uh, epistle here, uh, really systematically for the last several months, I guess it is now, I'm not even sure when we got started on this. Uh, and we've really looked at these things that, that transpired uh, specific, how long has it been, Kate? It's, it's 32. 32, thank you so much, 32 weeks. Uh, but looking at the things that not only just historically transpired in that early church, um, in regards to people that uh, had come in and they desired to remove that church from the basic foundations of the gospel and bring them back into the bondage of, in this case, obviously the law. We talked about that uh, at length as far as the Judaizers. They'd come in and they'd infiltrated through uh, really what I consider treachery. And they had brought these people back into a yoke of bondage. And Paul was addressing these things. But we've also not only examined from the history. What is it? 34. 34. Uh, also examined how these things uh, that were at work then or actually have resurfaced in the now. And, and what I really look at is kind of a deliberate attempt of the adversary to do the exact same thing. Uh, this afternoon I was in my office and I got a call from a, a brother in Christ up uh, in Indiana. And he had asked me, he said, are you guys having to deal with this issue? And he was talking about... Uh, Hebrew Israelites, we confronted that stuff obviously, and talking about even issues with uh, extreme levels of the Hebrew roots movement. And I, t and I told him some of the things that we've confronted here as well. And he began to share about him and the brother that were out ministering and uh, had confronted a gentleman or a guy came up to them as he saw them witnessing and basically trying to, uh, uh, to totally discombobulate their witness to somebody else through uh, the, uh, uh, the black Hebrew Israelite movement. So that stuff is alive and well, and I believe that it is just as, as treacherous today as it was uh, then 2,000 years ago. But tonight what we're going to do is we're going to continue an examination in, in what's really a very revealing and I believe challenging portion of Scripture in this uh, Paul's discourse. So this is Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14 as well, 13 and 14. And I think out of this what you're going to see is obviously we see some of the, the error and some of the erroneous teaching that's come uh, with people wanting to return to the law. And some of that stuff is very personal. I've got uh, people that I've considered very good friends and brothers of the Lord that uh, I don't have fellowship with anymore because they've, uh, they've employed a lot of that. Some of you have family members that have gone that route. And it becomes this legalistic bondage with no hope, no salvation that uh, really minimalizes the atonement of Christ Jesus and, uh, and really uh, elevates uh, the standard of self-righteousness. It's such a trap because people that are in that no joy, no peace. Uh, their urgency uh, to, to spread the gospel is nil because what are you going to present? Another form of bondage. So I want to read Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14 to you. It says, But Christ has rescued us. But I could just sit there just for a second. He's rescued us. How many of you guys beside me need any rescuing? You know, He has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When He was hung upon the cross, He took upon Himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scripture, Cursed is everyone who is hung upon a tree. Uh, last time, uh, what was it, the February 15th, I guess it was, speaking from our uh, church in Daytona, uh, I addressed really the first portion of this verse, and it kind of touched on, and I'll touch on just a little bit tonight. It, and what he said was Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. That, that word rescue literally means to rescue from slavery. To rescue from slavery. So, most of us don't look on ourselves pre-Christ as slaves. After you've come to Christ for a while and uh, get a better understanding of the words, you realize just how much of a slave you were. But folks, listen, being a slave to sin doesn't necessarily 
have to be a slave to that, that, that list of, of, of offenses that we see in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. We talked about this before as well. You know, I think about Paul the Apostle. He gives that parenthetical statement in Romans chapter 7. Obviously, he talks about that slavery. I'll, 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 I'll read a verse or two from that in Romans chapter 6 just in a minute. But he takes a break in the action, and he goes back to address the bondage that he was in, the sin that he was in when he says, talks about how wretched of a man that he was. Well, he wasn't talking about a man that was breaking the Ten Commandments. He was talking about a man who, under the, the, the auspices of the law, the things that I wanted to do, I could never do. The things I said I would never do, I found myself ended up doing those things. He was talking about just the bondage and the futility of trying to live righteously under the law. And so it's the same thing in, in this, but he needed a rescue from the bondage of self-righteousness. Folks, listen, it's, it's, it's one thing for, for you and I to say, listen, man, I'm not out, out killing. I'm not cheating on my, my wife. I'm not doing things. But what about self-righteousness? And I'm not talking about walking around telling everybody how great you are. I'm just talking about depending upon the arm of the flesh. And folks, that, can, that can, uh, can slip in in so many different ways to people. And we've talked about some of these things in the past, about abandoning the power and the authority of the cross, that Jesus was indeed wounded for our transgressions, right? That every sin that we've committed, that that was taken care of on the cross, that he was bruised for our iniquities. I like to use for iniquities a path of least resistance, those, those reoccurring habitual sins, and the chastisement from our peace was upon him, or, or, or our thought life, and obviously by his stripes that were, that were healed, there can be a restoration of those deep wounds in our lives. And it's easy for us to, 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 to believe God 100% of the time that if I sin or I transgress, and I'm, 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 I'm genuine and I'm repentant of heart, God, will you forgive me of my sin? Most of us will always say, well, we believe that he'll do that 100% of the time right away. That it's not some progressive forgiveness that, okay, God, uh, I'll, I'll forgive you, but I'm going I'm to forgive, uh, forgive you incrementally. That James, you sinned, you said something you shouldn't have said, you've repented, you're, you, there's some contrition in your heart, there's a, a, a humility, and I'm going to forgive you 40% right now. And tomorrow, if you still have some contrition, you still... Humble, we'll bump that up to 50%. And you know what? You hold on tight, by next week you'll be totally forgiven. We would all think that would be ridiculous. But he was also bruised for our iniquities, those reoccurring things. We believe that the cross of Christ and the blood of Jesus is enough for those transitions, trans, trans, uh, 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 those transgressions that we have. But sometimes we don't believe it's enough to break us free from bondages. So it becomes the cross of Christ plus something else. If I could just memorize enough Bible verses... Maybe I'll get free. If I could just go to church enough, or I could just, if I'm just in my car, if I'll sing enough music, then maybe I'll be free. Folks, listen, all of that stuff, as good as it is to, to read Bible verses and to sing Christian songs, none of those things did it. Those things are, would just take the place and become a new law, something else that we try to do. Folks, if we're going to have freedom, it's got to come through a dependence upon Jesus. Because our very best efforts are still filthy rags. And more filthy rags or more self-righteousness just adds to the stockpile of those things that testify against us because there's never freedom and victory. And I, think, I believe that's what Paul was addressing there in Romans 7 and kind of what he's trying to get out of the, the, the equation back in Galatians. And so to rescue means literally to re, re, rescue from slavery. Um, have you ever thought about um, the, 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 the originator of human trafficking? You know, we got a, a, a guy that used to work in the ministry with us for years. And, and right now, he, him and his family are really focused on the issue of human trafficking. And, but have you ever thought about where that began? 
You know, we think about human trafficking in regards to someone, you know, snatching a young lady and putting her in the sex trade, maybe in, in, in Southeast Asia or even on the streets of this nation or whatever else, and, and using somebody in, in regards to prostitution. But human trafficking really began in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve uh, 6,000 years ago. I mean, think about it. He took human, he began to traffic them. He took them for his, his own purpose. Because here's the thing, Satan can't really take up ownership. Just as somebody would abduct a, a girl and use her, he don't ever really own her. He just tries to treat her and to convince her that he owns her. Because Satan doesn't have the power or the authority to own anything. He operates through deception, he's a lie, and through intimidation. So he'll never possess some distant planet. He's not like the Mormons said that's just a, you know that that he was once the brother of Jesus and you know there was a choice to be made. All these these erroneous things that that false religion teach. So he'll never take ownership of a planet. He'll never be considered the Lord of creation. He doesn't have the ability. He'll never be exalted as God, even though obviously his his downfall was his desire for that. And he'll never have rightful deed rightful deed over anything that God's created. Now he convinces people, and you have people that say, "I've sold my soul." To the devil. Well, folks, listen, you, you can't do that because it's he's never going to have title deed and ownership of those things of your life. You may yield authority to him so he might act like he does, but he's never genuinely going to have that type of power. At best, he'll only be able to bring people into a place of indentured servitude or a place of slavery. He will hold you against your will, or sometimes he will eventually hold you in accordance with your will, but obviously he'll hold you outside of God's will. And so when we're talking about God has rescued us from the curse of the law, we're, we're talking about that we were that one that was that slave. We were held in bondage to something. Whether that bondage was that of some type of immoral action or, or heart condition, or whether that was the, the bondage to some legalistic thing that thought that maybe I could deify man and humanize God and get us on an evil play, an even playing field. Folks, either one of those things is bondage. There's no freedom in either one of those things. Why? Because you're always trying to stack pennies. You're always trying to keep something going. And there's, there's no hope. There's, there's no joy. There's no rest in any of those things. There's just man's futile efforts somehow to keep enough plates spinning at the right amount of time. And here's what I told you that I was going to mention from Romans 6, 16. You know it well. Don't you realize that you become the slave, the indentured servant, the, the one in bondage of whatever you choose to obey. And so servanthood, bondage, is always connected to obedience. And so you hear people sometimes say, listen, I don't answer to anyone. Yeah, every one of us answer to someone. You know what? I answer, I can, I can go next door to McDonald's and answer to some person making $8.50 an hour. You know what I'm saying? When they say, I want you to pull up to the second window, I say, listen, I don't want to pull up to the second window. I'm going to park right here, and you're going to bring my hamburger out. No, if I want my hamburger, I'm going to obey that person. I'm going to submit to that person making $8.50 an hour, regardless if I think they're qualified to tell me what to do. I'm going to do it, right? So every one of us are subjects. So the person that is so foolish in their heart says, I don't answer to anybody. I don't yield myself to We do it every single day on all sorts of levels. And so we become a slave to whatever we choose to obey. And so you can be, it says in Romans 6.16, be a slave to sin, which leads where? To death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteousness. Let's just stop right there. And so if I'm obeying sin, if I'm obeying uh, or become a slave to sin through obedience to sin, it's always going to lead to the same spot. Is that what the Bible says? Sin results in death. Why is that? 
Because the wage of sin is death. But if I become a slave or I obey God, where does it always lead? Well, how can that be, brother? Listen, it don't have to be that way. I can just be on the journey there. You know, it, it don't always be. That's just your opinion. Folks, you see how convoluted things are and they want to hold us back into that bondage? And that's what Paul the Apostle was still addressing. Folks, if I'm obeying sin, it's always going to lead to death. If I'm obeying God, it's always going to lead to righteous living. Obeying God will never lead me to a life of compromise. Obeying God will never lead me to a place of unrepentant sin. It's never going to lead me to a lifestyle of unforgiveness. It's never going to hold me into bondage. So if I'm in any of those things, or if I'm not walking in a victory according to the Word of God, all i got to do is take a step back, look in the mirror, and ask myself the simple question, who am I really obeying? Because if I'm obeying God, there's going to be the product of that in my life, which is going to be righteous living. If I'm not living righteous, that means I'm obeying sin unto death. It don't mean that Kim Abudram offended me or, or Emerson didn't say something I needed to or, or my wife wasn't there for me and now I'm living in body. It means that I'm obeying something of the old nature that should have been crucified with Christ according back to Galatians 2 and 20. Crucified with Christ. So who am I walking in obedience to? Because whoever I obey, I become the servant of. I am going to serve that person or that thing. And so we understand being a slave to sin or a slave to God. But what about slavery to the law? And that's what specifically we've been addressing here in that Galatian church, which can never be attained. We can never satisfy the righteous requirements of the law uh, 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 through the, the very best of human efforts. Well, if Paul could have done it, uh, which he couldn't, then, then maybe somebody else could have. But he called himself, what, the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the poster child for those that were under the law. He was circumcised on, on the right day. He, he, he belonged to one of the tribes. He was zealous. He persecuted the, the church, these people that came in. I mean, all of those things that he did, he did as a slave to the law. But all of those things that he attempted to do, he considered those things dung. He considered those things rubbish. He eventually went on to say, listen, I'm forgetting those things that are behind. And I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. The high calling of God could never be found in those things that hold me in bondage. They're only going to be found in the freedom that I have from trusting Christ on every level. And so... Our very best efforts will never satisfy those things that we think that God desires. I, I was thinking about this as I was typing these notes up. There was a young man that we knew in Texas year ago, years ago. and, and uh, their, their last I can't think of their, their first name, but their family's last name was Davey. And you may remember this, Pastor Joe. But uh, his, his, his mother had came to our church a few times. And, and uh, she's still friends with some of the folks within the church. But she had a son that was 18 years old. And he decided that he was going to break into a car and steal a stereo. Now, back in the day, Kmart carried a brand called Craco. You may remember the Craco. Now, Craco wasn't a very expensive one, but the one he stole was probably a $50 cassette uh, player. Remember the cassettes, the little, little tapes? Some of you guys remember those. He stole a $50 uh, uh, cassette player and got picked up for, uh, for, for breaking into a vehicle, whatever the charge may have been. Now, he stole a $50 stereo at 18 years old, okay? He ended up having to, to, have to be in jail for a few weeks as this thing went to trial. 
and he got convicted for breaking the window and, and for stealing this thing and, and got put on probation. And so as hard as he tried to meet the requirements of that probation, he would find himself at the wrong house at the wrong time or, or something would happen. He didn't check in at the right time. And, and a fifth, uh, the transgression of a $50 stereo put him on probation that eventually landed him in prison for years. For years! He spent probably, the, the, the total accumulation of time, probably five or six years sitting in prison for stealing a $50 radio. Now, if you went back and you began to say, well, why is he doing this? Well, he just couldn't meet the requirements of the probation that he was put on for stealing a $50 radio. And so $50 not only cost him years of his life, opportunities as a felon, somebody had been in prison and lied, uh, put him in, in, in great stages of depression. He got out, he found himself in, in, in drug abuse, all of these things because of what entered in. It probably cost the state of Texas tens of thousands of dollars every single year just to house him for a $50 stereo. It was that bondage of not ever being able to meet those standards. He couldn't, he couldn't stay on probation for 12 months without violating something that would seem so ridiculous to someone else that cost him. Folks, listen, if we think for a minute that somehow that we can cross the right T's and dot the right I's long enough and somehow not genuinely have an intimate relationship with God, but God's going to give us the stamp of approval. We're fooling ourselves just like those Galatians thought that maybe by going through the ride of circumcision, they could as well. Eventually, we've got to come to the point and say, God, I just simply want to obey your voice. I want to have an intimate relationship with you. I want to fall in love with God on a level that it's going to produce righteousness in my Life. And so when Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law, he rescued us from an endless bondage to a criteria that would utterly be impossible for us ever to attain. That's what he did for me. Now, folks, listen, some of you folks talk about, you, you know, you, and you know your testimonies. And some of you, it's a miracle that you're alive, period. Uh, and so that, that was where you came from. It's like, man, you wouldn't believe. Who, now, I don't have that, that, that testimony. I never did drugs. I've never smoked pot. I never was a killer. Or I never was the top, you know, uh, gang member in my... I never did have that testimony. I just had a testimony that I was lost without Christ. And regardless of the good grades that I made or the trouble I kept myself out of, I could never attain the righteousness of God. I could letter in all the, the sporting events. I could make the honor roll. I could do all of those things. But every single one of those things would merely testify against me because they would never meet the standard that God had for my life. I could go to church, win the Sunday school uh, content, all of those things. But all of those things would, would, would always come back at me as self-righteousness. Folks, that's what he's talking about. All of these efforts that we try to do in the natural, it just makes it impossible for us to attain. Why? Because our testimony isn't how rotten we were. Our testimony isn't even how, 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 how much we tried. Our testimony is God and His great love for us that through His mercy, He came down and He paid a price that I could not pay. Regardless of how great it was, even if it was my $50 stereo theft or if it was the fact that I was involved in some type of heinous uh, 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 lifestyle that was contrary to the righteousness, it wouldn't matter. He was the only one that could satisfy that debt that I owed. 
He paid that price. And that was, the, that was him rescuing me. So the curse pronounced by the law was the wrath of a righteous God being levied upon uh, on those and bringing condemnation to people that, that violated him on any level. That's what he rescued it from. It was the wrath of God. And so we say to ourselves so many times, you know what? Well, that person don't deserve that. Folks, listen. Every single one of us deserve the wrath of God to be poured out upon us without mixture. It does. Without anything uh, 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 alleviating the punishment of God. Every single one of us deserve that. But we think to ourselves, well, certain people are innocent. Folks, listen. The, 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 those things that are highly esteemed among men, even the things that are highly esteemed, the Bible says they're an abomination to God. Not those things that are reprehensible to men, but those things that are highly esteemed. Well, that person's so great, or, or Gandhi, or whatever else. They, they did such great works. Those things that are highly esteemed. The most highly esteemable things in the presence of man. The very best efforts that we can offer. The most self-righteousness. The most adherence to law. The slavery to those things that look so uh, uh, beneficial to humanity. Those things at their best are still an abomination unto God. So he rescued me from the wrath that I deserve. Why, folks? Because listen, when Adam fell, everything fell. Everything was irreparable. Man could not build a tall enough tower. Man could not uh, 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 whittle enough uh, 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 tablets. Man couldn't do any of those things to somehow satisfy God. They, they couldn't kill enough lambs. They, they couldn't do any of those things. They couldn't traverse an, enough lands. Man could not satisfy the wrath of God. So Jesus Christ came and rescued me. Folks, see, that ought to create an appreciation and an, an adoration for God. But folks, what happens is we begin to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. Oh, he needed to rescue Pastor Joe. or He needed to rescue Emerson because, man, those guys were on a, on a pathway to destruction. Now, me, you know what? I just kind of came alongside of him because I didn't have their background. And, and you know what? He says, you know what? You're a pretty good boy, but why don't you just come along with me? Folks, we get to thinking that way. Or we see somebody that's been convicted of some crime, and we think, man, I'd like to get into prison now because that's the person that really needs God. Folks, listen, that makes us even the more reprehensible. Why? Because once again, we've deified self, and we've thought that somehow, Somehow we found a loophole from our good works or the fact that we didn't sin as much as, as the other people. But folks, listen, we need to come back to that place. We realize that Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, He has rescued and ransomed me from the wrath of God, from that, 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 that one that's going to come. And I'm not talking about the wrath of God or the judgment of God that affects weather patterns or, or, or causes the stock market to crash or causes the wrong politician to come into office. I'm not talking about junk like that. I'm not talking about the law of sowing and reaping and the, and the consequences of, of the fall in the garden 6,000 years ago. I'm talking about the wrath of God, the one that's not only able to kill your body, but to kill your soul and to cast you into hell for eternity. That's what I was delivered for. I had a reservation in the bowels of hell. And God in His mercy came down and rescued me when I did not even deserve it. And he came and rescued me. Why on earth would I not want to obey him? Oh, but you don't believe the things that I went through. Mama and daddy were there. He didn't have enough money growing up, but he rescued me from the very wrath of God. You don't know people really...
ridiculed me and made fun of me. And I didn't have the advantages of other people. But at the end of the day, he rescued me from the very wrath of God. So folks, listen, we can draw the picture and, and, and write the narrative any way we want to. But at the end of the day, when we stand before God and we come into his presence and he sees us through faith in the atoning work of the cross of Calvary, we're going to realize something. As hell is ever enlarging itself, and he looks at those that have rejected his grace and his mercy, and he says, depart from me. And they're cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, and the, the unbeliever and the false prophet are cast into the lake of fire. I'm going to say, praise God. I can recognize it in the presence of his holiness. That there's not a thing on earth that I ever could have done to somehow satisfy God's wrath except put my faith in God's Son. Then I rest, I realize that Christ has rescued me. He has rescued me. Folks, have you ever, anybody ever found themselves in, 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 in kind of a perilous situation? I remember uh, uh, years ago when we lived in, in Daytona, Kayla and I, uh, I, don't, I don't know what we were thinking. When we went out on uh, past the second sandbar, and we found ourselves caught up in some very strong riptides, about to be pulled out into deep water, and struggling and struggling. And I'm thinking to myself, God, you got to do something. It, it's one thing for me to be in that, but for my, my, my baby daughter to be out there, and you know, what if something happened? And, and I remember just met this pleading with God on the inside, and, and doing everything I could to go there and literally push her out of that, that, that rip current so she could swim to safety. Folks, listen, I was willing to put myself in peril. If I would have been the one whose lifeless body would have washed up on shore, that would have been okay with me. But there's no way because of the value I saw in her that I, I would ever, ever want her to be in that type of peril. Folks, that's what he did to us. Listen, we were in peril, so what he did, he put himself in our place. He put himself, obviously, in harm's way and rescued us. From the wrath of Almighty God. And so we were hopelessly bound by the chains of slavery. We had no chance to ever satisfy the requirements of God. So when it says Christ has rescued us, it means he bought us up. Or he purchased back with the whole idea that the price of freedom or deliverance requires a great cost of effort, suffering of loss, and, 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 and on the part of the one paying the ransom. So when it says it does, it's, it's a requirement and so it's not, listen, smack him on the hand and everything's going to be okay. When it talks about he has purchased us back, he has ransomed us and rescued us, it means that the one that's doing the rescue does it at their own peril. It's not like, well, you know what, that was God and it was easy for him. No, he emptied himself, literally. He took on the form of sinful flesh and for sin. And it wasn't that he says, listen, I'm God, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to diminish the pain. I'm going to diminish the suffering. No, he allowed the pain and the suffering humanity to be poured out upon him, and he took it. We see the picture of him uh, praying in, in, the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he, 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 he sweated great drops of blood. That was the type of thing that he went through for us. Folks, so we're talking about he purchased us back. He purchased us back with his own life. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 through 6, it says there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ who gave himself. He gave himself a ransom for all to be testified of in due time. Folks, listen, we can sit here tonight and we can read the word and we can talk about how good God was. We can talk about how merciful he was and we can look at our own lives and, and measure it against our own hearts because we, we, we know who we were even if 
No one else did. But can you imagine the day that we see him face to face? We see the King of Kings, unabated by the darkness that we face now, as the scripture says, we see through the glass darkly. But when that, when him which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. We shall see him as he is. We see that he still allowed himself to bear the scars from the crown of thorns upon his head. We see the nail-scarred hands. We see that everything that he endured as God made flesh was meant for us. That we stand and see the consequences of rejecting that at the great white throne judgment. We see people slipping literally into eternity, into a place of utter darkness and without hope forever. A billion years from now will still be forever for those that have rejected the mercy of God. And God will have been justified completely in that punishment. Folks, what we all deserve because of the fall of man and the inherent nature that we had because of sin a trillion billion years from now for violating the righteousness and the holiness of God that's what I deserve but praise God because of faith in what Jesus Christ has done I don't get what I deserve and so oh it's so easy now to obey him and just be a slave to him regardless of what that looks like what they may cost me in the short term May, not co may, may cost me getting to live, quote-unquote, the American dream or, or having all the luxuries of this world. But I tell you what, when we see him face to face, and he says, enter into your rest, we'll realize that all of these things that we've built up and we've sought in these lives that moth and dust corrupt and thieves break through and steal, that if that was where our heart was, that's where our treasure would be also. But he's rescued us from the curse of the law and the wrath of the the righteousness of God being violated. The sentence of the law upon those who offended, even at one point, was always death. We know that from Romans 6.23. And so mankind needed someone, someone worthy, that could be that ransom for us. And so the rescue or ransom that Jesus paid was what was mentioned, and we talked about it last time, which means to be bought out of slavery and taken off the market, no longer up, forbid. That's what he expects. And so when he bought me with a price, he doesn't expect me to go back on the market. Do you hear me? And what I mean by that is you have people that say, listen, I'm just a poor old sinner saved by grace and I'm still identifying with who I was. No, you're off the market. That's like when I married Melanie going on 31 years uh, uh, ago. I gave her my name. She came off the market. I put a ring upon her finger. I entered into covenant with her. And she didn't say, well, I'm going to stick around with you, but I'm going to still play the field. And if something better comes along, then I'm going to move on in that relation. No, she was off the market. She was mine. Regardless of the difficulties, regardless as we get older, regardless of, of health challenges or, or, or financial difficulties, she's off the market. Like it or not, she's mine. Like it or not, I'm hers. We're together in this and we're going to endure to the end. We're not going to trade it in for, for, for a, a souped-up model. We're not going to trade it in for anything else. She's off the market. And folks, that's what it's like when we come to Christ Jesus. Listen, when he ransomed us, he didn't just say, listen, I'm going to take you until 
a better deal comes along. Folks, but that's what's happened in this sort of great westernized influenced church. We're always looking for a better deal. Now, we'll still call it Christianity, but man, why would I want to live a Christian life that requires holiness when, when the, the, the Joseph princes of this world tell me that really I don't need to repent because, you know what, I can continue to do it. He don't look upon those things. It really doesn't require a fidelity. Folks, listen, there is a fidelity. It's called obedience. That's what fidelity looks like. I obey what he says because of my relationship that I have with him. Folks, this, these erroneous teachings, whether they're the, the, the greasy grace or the wide gate gospel or the legalistic things that are associated with, with the Hebrew roots movement. Folks, listen, all of those things take us uh, 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 away from really the central truth of the message of the cross of Calvary, which I'm in him and he's in me. And if I abide in Christ, he abides in me. And I just obey the one that paid a price that was too enormous for me to ever pay. And folks, listen, that's important because where there was an emancipation, there was also an expectation to then live as a free, free from the entanglements of sin or free from, from violating that relationship. When I married Melanie and we were emancipated from the bondage of being single, and some of you people that are, that are single that have a desire to be married, you, you realize that if you have that desire, you feel involved. But we were free from that. But that freedom now gave us the freedom not to be in bondage to those things any longer. But there was an expectation that came along with it. There was an expectation of me to care for her, for her to care for me, for her to meet one another's needs, for us to nurture one another. So there's an expectation, uh, expectation that came along with that freedom that that marriage covenant brought. Folks, it's the same thing with our relationship with God. And so it's important because otherwise we go back on the auction block. Think about Galatians 5.1. It says, Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure you stay free and don't get tied up again in the slavery to the law. Christ set you free. Now stay free. How do you stay free? I stay free through obedience to God. He says, do it, I do it. Folks, listen, i got some news for you. Maybe this isn't news at all. But God is God, and He always will be God. Do you hear? God's on the throne, and He's not scooting over for anyone. God is God, and He's always going to be God. It doesn't matter if you like it. It doesn't matter if, if, if you want to get some, uh, uh, some other interpretation of it. God is God. And so, folks, when I got born again, I came to the conclusion, I want to serve a God that is God all by Himself. I don't need a God that needs me to formulate an opinion or, or, or change who I think He is. I want Him to be God. I want Him to be the ultimate authority. That, that way I'm not always having to rethink my position every few years. And so my position is God is God. God can do, say, anything He wants to me. And I have one choice, and that's to obey. Whatever He wants to take me through, I'm okay with that. If God tells me to speak up, I'm okay with that. If God tells me to shut up, I'm totally okay with that. If God says, listen, I want to give you some years of relative ease, man, I'm up for that. But if God says, listen, I want to take you through times of trials and tribulation, I'm up with that as well. And you can ask my wife, in 32 years of marriage, 31 years of marriage coming up, in 32 years of service, you ask her how many times she's ever known me to shake my hand at heaven and say, God, why on earth would you make us go through this? That ain't me. Why? Because who am I to exalt myself above the host of heaven? 
And say, God, you owe me something. You owe me a better deal. God, you don't have my best interest in mind. He don't have my best interest in mind. The one that rescued and redeemed me from the curse of the law and saved me from the penalty of the wrath of God don't have my best interest in mind. But look what I went through. He don't have my best interest in mind. Look what I don't have to go through. Folks, that's the love and that's the mercy and the kindness of God. And so Paul, Paul's comparison to slavery is the very idea of ransom and redemption. It was introduced under the law to begin with. I want to give you three words tonight in the time that I have left in regards to what he was talking about to be redeemed or ransomed. I love that Paul uh, really sets a, uh, allows the snare to be set with their own words that tried to manipulate the Galatians. And the first word that we're talking about in Hebrew, talking about being redeemed or ransomed, we'll get deeper into to why he used this, was the word pada. I'll give you an English spelling for a Hebrew word. It'd be P-A-D-A-H, pada. And it was a word that was used in regards to commercial trans, uh, transactions or the transfer of ownership. And so the transfer of ownership was always tied to the payment that provided equality to the, trans, the transaction. And so there was equality. Do you want to know how bad your sin was? You want to know how bad your sin was, Andrew? Because you may not think you were a killer. You want to know how bad you think your sin was, Jairus? Look at the cross. That's what that Pada was. He, he gave something and the, 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 the transaction had to be equal. That was just balances. And so if you want to know how wicked you were, Look at what it took to ransom you back. It didn't take a, 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 a flock full of, 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 of sheep. It didn't take that. It took God Himself coming down in the incarnation and dying for you. That's how repulsive, that's how uh, destitute we were spiritually. That's what it took. That's the pada. In order for ownership to be changed, something of equal value had to be paid to satisfy that payment. Folks, that keeps me a check. I don't know about you. What did it take? It took Jesus dying. It didn't take me cleaning up my act. It didn't take me going to church. It didn't take me memorizing enough scripture, singing the right songs, or tuning my radio to the right state. It didn't take any of those things. Being good to my wife, raising uh, Jesus-loving children. It didn't take any of those things. What it took was God coming down and dying in my place. That's the pada. Psalms 137 and 8 says, Israel... Put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with Him there's full redemption. There's full pada. There's full, He paid equal to what was owed. He Himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. He Himself. They can't say, well, what's somebody else going to do? Well, He Himself paid the price. And folks, listen, once He pays the price, there's nothing going to trump that. And so, Romans 8 1, there's no condemnation. For those that are in Christ Jesus, that put their faith in the pada, to realize that he paid the price that would trump anything. For those that are in Christ, who walk not after the flesh or their own efforts, but after the Spirit. And so I don't have condemnation. Why? Because anytime condemnation or the accuser of the brethren comes to me, I just point at the payment. It'd be like ordering up all the things at the finest restaurant and the waitress coming up and sending the bill. And I just point across the table and say, give it to him. I'm with him. I'm with him. And I tell you what, he, he's got more than enough to pay my bill. Folks, that's what it's like. It's always being with the one that pays uh, equal to what is owed. And so 
um, in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 7, 23, and he says, you were bought with a price, so don't become slaves to human beings. If ownership was transferred in your life, don't find yourself ensnared once again in bondage to human things or things that are even temporal. And the second word used for this idea of ransom redemption was gala. And I'll give you another English spelling for that Hebrew word. is G-A-L-A-L. And it means to play the part of a kinsman. Now some of you are familiar with the term the kinsman redeemer or to act on behalf of a, of, of a relative's in danger and trouble. That word is used over 118 times in the Old Testament. 118 times that word is used, the gala, which means a lot because what it does, it implies that debt resulting in the loss of inherited property could be settled and possession restored if redeemed by a wealthier kinsman. You'll find that in Leviticus 25. I won't turn there. And so that way, debt never created an utterly hopeless situation, something that was too difficult or, or, or too impossible to overcome. Have any of you ever felt like, listen, Man, I just feel hopeless. That Man, I, maybe I've made decisions. Maybe I've done things that I can't. Folks, i got news for you. The Galah says, listen, I don't care how far you've gone. I don't care the, the things that you've gone through in life. I don't care the, the times that you've stumbled. Man, there's one that's standing in the gap. You may say to yourself, listen, I don't have what it takes to get back to that place that I desire to do. But folks, we have a kinsman redeemer. We have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. We have a God that we can call Abba Father. He's that, 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 that father to the fatherless. And so regardless of what hand I thought I was dealt or, or transgressions that I thought I made, that listen, I think that, listen, I've, I've, I've forfeited my opportunities because of this and that. What he's done, it says in Joel 2.25, it says, I will pay, repay you even for the years that the locusts have eaten. The great locusts and the young locusts, the other locusts and the locusts one. My great army that I sent among you. In other words, even those things that have been utterly devoured and consumed, he said, I can restore even your wasted years. Because folks, listen, in, in, in some circles, especially with older people, they'll say, listen, man, I feel like I've wasted so much time. I've wasted so many opportunities. But the good news is, is we have the gala. We have the kinsman redeemer, the one that can say, listen, you don't have what it takes to get that back, but I have what it takes to get that back. If you'll humble yourself in the sight of a living God, listen, if you'll weather that storm, if you'll come right back to that place of obedience and you'll realize that that ownership was transferred to him, Listen, I'm going to bring you that place of restoration in your life. And what this does, it provides hope when all that you uh, might have in despair in regards to the opportunities that have been lost. God, listen, man, yeah, I blew it. But man, all hope is not lost. That God in the midst of all of those things, my trial, my tribulations, all of those things, God can still restore hope to me. And the second part about the kinsman redeemer would also act as a judicial executioner if the relative had been murdered. You'll see that in Numbers 35. And he was the one that would avenge his relative's death. Folks, what's that good news for us? Well, Romans 12, 19. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And so what the gala of the old covenant does for me in the New Testament, it says, listen, I no longer have to fight those fights or battles or to somehow seek retribution for the things that are done to me. God's going to pay that back. It may not be in my timing, but I guarantee you it doesn't matter what was done or said. Folks, listen, I can tell you, especially, and Emily can testify to this from all of our years of ministry. Folks, there's, there's people that wronged us horribly. 
That man, it would have been so easy to get on a soapbox and just defame them and say, listen, you got it. You're about to reap what you've sown and I'm going to be the one that's going to cause you to be reaped. And years later, they came back and said, hey, listen, years later, man, I just want to tell you, man, I apologize for what happened in that situation. And uh, man, would you forgive me? Period. Folks, listen, if, if we're faithful to God and we hold true that confession of our faith in Him and allow Him to dictate those things as ownership, then we don't have to take revenge. What happens? Well, all we need to do is bless those who curse us, pray for our enemies, you know, give to those that ask of us. And what does He say? It says it heaps coals of fire upon their heads. It puts them in a situation and it leaves room for the wrath of God to convict them. Now, folks, here's the good news. Even at that, leaving room for the wrath of God. Folks, I praise God that it's not the final wrath of God. I praise God that there's other people that I've, I've, I've wronged that didn't avenge me, that it left room for the wrath of God to deal with me. And I had to go back to them too and say, listen, man, I, I, I blew it. I, I was wrong in that situation. But just the semblance, just the heat of the wrath of God at a distance should be enough to cause the fear of the Lord to come upon us and say, listen, I don't want to get any closer than that that I absolutely have to. The third word for use for this is the word coper, K-O-P-E-R. And I love this. This means a, a lot to me. And it means to atone or ransom through substitutionary payment. To atone or ransom through substitutionary payment. I'll tell you why it means so much to me in a minute. Romans 3.23 says this, it says, for whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Don't you like those $50 words, especially in King James, that propitiation? Man, Jesus is a propitiation. Man, this rolls off the tongue. It rolls off the tongue and gets stuck in your ear because you're thinking, propitiation, what exactly is that? Well, in the Greek, it goes on to mean basically... The mercy seat. It's the mercy seat. Some of you, again, you may say to yourself, well, what does that have to do with me? Well, and that's why I'm telling you it means something to me because I've, I've so loved the pictures of Christ in the tabernacle of the Old Testament. And it's where the blood of that vicarious lamb was spilt to appease God's wrath upon sin. Galatians 3.14, I want to read this again so you can see exactly how this applies. It says, but Christ has rescued us from that curse pronounced by the law. For he hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it's written in the scriptures, Cursed is everyone who is hung upon a tree. Not cursed in the sense of he became cursed or sinful, but he was that substitute for us. Think about Matthew 27, 46. Talking about a substitute, he became that place of that mercy seat for us. Here's why you have to know these things, folks, because you'll see... How some of this false and erroneous doctrine has found its way into the church. When you look at these things in error. Matthew 27, 46, very familiar portion of scripture. It says, about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? You know, you've heard people, and I've heard it preached all the time, that this was the point where God had to turn his back on Jesus because he couldn't look on sin. Anybody ever heard that preached? Don't ever preach that. I'll tell you why. Folks, listen, God the Father and God the Son are one. The Word tells us that a house divided against itself cannot stand. 
If God can't look upon sin, why was he looking for Adam and Eve in the garden? You know, we can look at these things. I think it's Habakkuk. Somebody look that up. I think it may be 2.6, uh, where it's talking about uh, God does not behold sin. In other words, God's not focusing on error. He's not focusing on those transgressions. It's somewhere in there. I'm not sure if that's the actual address. But folks, listen. When Jesus hung upon that cross, he was becoming a substitute. He was becoming our atonement on that day. And what's important about that is this. You know, you look at the Old Testament tabernacle. And I love that he uses propitiation there because it does take us back to that picture that was drawn. You go into the, to the, 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 the outer court of the tabernacle in the wilderness and you had the, the brazen altar. And that was the place that that, 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 that lamb that was slain, he was, he was burned upon that altar. But that's also where that blood was taken. And so the spectacle for everyone to see was that brazen altar, which was a type of the cross. And folks, when Jesus set up on the cross, it's finished. In other words, his part was finished. He did everything that he had to do to satisfy the wrath of God. Now what happened? Now that high priest took that bowl of blood and he began to make his way towards the holy place, towards that inner sanctum of the tabernacle. But before he got into that place, outside of that first opening to that holy place, there was a bronze laver, there was a bronze bowl filled with water. And that was the place that the priest had to go and wash himself. Folks, that's our type of repentance. That is because the bronze rec uh, uh, represented judgment, the water represented the Holy Spirit. And so when he looked upon himself through that judgment, it was always going to be filtered through the Holy Spirit. So he would wash himself, he would cleanse himself before he could enter in. But once he entered in with that blood on the Day of Atonement, he would find before him, he'd find the table of showbread, he'd find the, the seven golden candlesticks, he'd find the, 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 the incense that, that burned up that represented the, the prayers of the saints. And all of those things, I'm not going to get into all the types of that now, but all of those were a type of Christ. Then he found himself facing that veil. And on that veil he would push through and it was constructed in such a way that for a split second he was enveloped on all sides. He found himself in a place of, of darkness. He found himself having to press through to the other side in that veil. Jesus talks about the veil being torn from the top to the bottom. Hebrews says the veil that is his flesh. And so it was torn from the very top to the very bottom, representing Jesus being separated and making that open way for us. That we have not a high priest who cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities, always tempted like we are, yet without sin, so we can go boldly into the throne of grace and mercy. Folks, that's where the mercy seat is found. That's where the Old Testament Shekinah glory of God was reserved for the priest to experience on the Day of Atonement, first for his sins and for the sins of the others. That he would go in and he would see this, this, the, the, this Ark of the Covenant, and atop this Ark of the Covenant, there was this place called the mercy seat. And that's where the finished part of the brazen altar had to be completed by somebody willing to be obedient and to go and appropriate that blood upon that Ark of the Covenant for the remission of men's sin, to stand in that gap for someone else. And folks, even though Jesus has finished work upon the cross of Calvary, he said it was finished. He did. He, he took upon himself. But to appropriate that requires us to go to that bronze labor of repentance. It, does, it, it demands for us to, to pass by that, that table of showbread, to go past those seven golden candlesticks, to, to offer that altar of incense, and to crucify that flesh, and to come in and to allow the blood of Jesus to cry out not guilty upon the mercy seat in the presence of God the Father on our behalf. Folks, that's what he went through upon the cross of Calvary that gave us access 
into a place that was inaccessible by anything by natural means. Folks, why on earth would we or anyone else, so when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why you forsaken me? Folks, listen, I've shared this before and I won't get into much detail. He wasn't talking about God forsaking him. He was preaching. Preaching his final message upon the cross of Calvary. You get a chance, read the whole 24 verses of Psalms 22. That's what he did because there was a type of teaching under, uh, under, uh, under uh, uh, Hebrew teachers, under uh, those rabbinical teaching, they would give you one verse and you had to memorize the rest. And so I want to read verse 6 because he says, My God, my God, why are you forsaken? This is Psalms 22. In verse 6 he says, But I am a worm, and no man, he said, a reproach of man despised of the people, but I am a worm. And folks, when we think about this worm, a false teacher by the name, I'll just call it by name, I don't care, they put it out there. Uh, Kenneth Copeland says that Jesus actually uh, uh, took upon the, the spirit of Satan and he became just this old vile worm in hell. That's a lie straight from the pit of hell and that guy is a heretic. You can put it right here on the internet, I said it. Uh, but folks, that word worm is derived from the Hebrew word tola and it's the crimson colored grub worm. And they use that grub worm the, 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 as a dye to dye their garments a crimson red. And so Jesus Christ was prophesied, listen, I am the Tola. I am the one that's going to take my blood, and though your sins be in scarlet, you're going to be as white as snow. And so the whole of Psalms 22 is a messianic prophecy. And he goes on to talk about that they, 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 they cast lots uh, for my clothes, and, and I'm poured out like water, my heart's like wax, my strength is dried up, they pierce my hands and feet, all of these things, but he goes on to say, he said, for, but the Lord, in verse 24, you have not despised or abhorred or, afflict, uh, or the afflicts inflicted, neither have you hid your face from me when I cried out to you, you heard me. In other words, all the forsaking part was the wrath of God meant for us, but God would never reject or despise the perfect sacrifice of Christ Jesus. That's what made it Worthy. That's what gave the equality to that price and that ransom for you and I. And folks, listen, that's what ought to get us saved, and that's what ought to keep us saved. That's what ought to keep us walking in obedience to Christ Jesus, realizing that the value, that the value of who he saw in us that broke the strangle her, uh, hold of the curse of the law off of our life was only accomplished through one thing, and that's what Jesus Christ did for us upon the cross of Calvary. Father, tonight, Father, as we're in this place, Father, we for, want to forever be reminded, Lord God, of, of who you are, Lord God, but, but God, just as importantly, of what you were willing to do for us, Lord God. Father, the enormity of the price and the payment, Lord God, that you made for us, Lord God. Father, we don't want to be one, Lord God, that would in any way diminish that, Lord God, the finished work of the cross, Lord God. We don't want to do that. We don't want to be like the false teachers, Lord God, that, that tried to infiltrate the church of Galatia, or those that are trying to infiltrate the church now, Lord God. Father, we want to be those, Lord God, that, 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 that search the scriptures to see if it be whole, Lord God, that, that, that hold fast our profession of, of faith, Lord God. We want to be those sort of Berean-like, Lord God. We want to study to show ourselves to prove unto God. But, Father, we want to be those, Lord God, that are faithful and good, Lord God, and walk in obedience unto you, Lord Jesus. Father, give us that strength, Lord God. Cause us, Lord God, to go deeper in you 
We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And amen.